Happy Father's Day to everyone. How y'all doing? So glad you're here today. We are continuing our series on the parables, and we're talking about one that you know of, you've heard it if you've been in church at all, um, but it's going to help you to know the context. So I'm going to try to maybe explain a little bit of that to you. I, I began to think about places I've lived before, and I've lived in Missouri for some time, New Mexico, Texas, that kind of thing. Wow, that went a long way. Um, and every place I ever lived had a culture. And so uh, in Michigan, the culture, they were hardy, and you know, a lot of us Southerners think uh, uh, Northern people aren't that friendly. They were super friendly. Uh, they had a little weird thing about how they... Uh, like mitten, uh, the word mitten, they would say mitten for some reason. I always thought that was weird. And Michigan is shaped like a hand, and so anytime you say where you're from, they would show you the hand and kind of point to it. That was weird, I thought. Um, uh, South Carolina has a culture. You know your culture. Um, uh, boiled peanuts, pollen, you know, uh, uh, low country boil, which I think is uh, weather conditions from last week. So um, we, we have culture. And a couple years ago, several years ago, I had a chance to go to Tanzania and do a pastor's teaching, a pastor's conference, for Tanzanian pastors. Uh, so not only is it a different culture, it's certainly a different culture, it's a different continent. And so I preached what I would presume was a brilliant lesson, I can't remember now exactly what it was, but I know it was great. And uh, I preached it to these pastors, and then we opened it up for questions, and I wasn't ready for what I was about to get. The first question was, Pastor, what do you do when your deacon has more than one wife? Not something I am accustomed to dealing with. Second question, Pastor, um, uh, or, uh, yeah, Pastor, they're trying to get rid of me because my kids are unruly. What do I do? And so these, these aren't things that we deal with a lot in our culture, but in that culture it made sense. So today we're looking at Jesus' most popular story ever told. It's called The Prodigal Son. By the way, this is a, a picture painted by a guy named uh, Wayne Paschal. Um, I had never seen his artwork before, but if you like that, you'll like most of his stuff. It's really interesting. He's an African-American. He's still alive. And uh, I began to look at some of his art. It's just really great. But anyway, um, The Prodigal Son is a story you've heard before, probably a lot of times. But... When we pull a story out of context and just talk about it like from a 21st century American uh, idea, we, we miss some of it. So let me help you today understand the culture a little better because it's really important to get the context. Jesus was a, a Middle Eastern, 2,000 years ago person, who lived in a, a, a peasant kind of environment. These folks... Most of them lived hand-to-mouth. It wasn't like they had uh, huge uh, savings and that sort of thing. He preached to Middle Eastern peasant people because he was a Middle Eastern peasant person. And the story is, makes more sense if you understand the context. Now, in that culture, a couple things about the background. The Jews adhered to a shame-honor culture. And by that I mean they, they worked to not dishonor themselves... And they worked hard to bring honor to themselves. And that's why they hated the tax collectors. Because tax collectors uh, did shameful things. They, they dishonored themselves because they worked for the Gentiles. And they were notorious to, thieve, to be thieves. 
And so they did dishonorable things and nobody liked them. Even in the culture today, in the Middle East today, there are cultures that do things like, um, uh, it's called honor killings, where uh, if you're, typically it happens in the Muslim um, uh, uh, culture, but uh, if you're a, a dad and you have lots of honor and your daughter does something shameful, then you um, might uh, kill her because of, of what she's done. So this whole, this whole idea of shame and honor, really, really big back then. And to really get all of this story, you have to understand that. You have to put that piece in your mind. Something else, the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones that said what was honorable and what was shameful. They kind of, they, they, they were self-appointed arbiters of shame and honor. And so they're the ones who were setting the rules when Jesus was around. And the third thing you need to understand is Jesus made them uncomfortable because he challenged their rules. And, and he, said, he said things, you'll, you'll hear Jesus say things like, um, you put weight on the backs of people, but you don't help carry it. Or um, he, he would say stuff like, um, uh, you whitewash tombs, you are uh, clean on the outside, but on the inside you're dirty, you're full of dead men's bones. And the scribes and the Pharisees didn't like that very much. He challenged their authority to set the standards. And so they would say bad things about it. One time they said, uh, Jesus is able to drive out demons because he's demon-possessed himself. Uh, by Satan, he's the one, you know, it's like, that's stupid. It's, it's a stupid argument. But that's the kind of stuff they said. Now, when we find ourselves in Luke 15, and Jesus tells these three stories, at the very beginning it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, so... Sinners found Jesus quite interesting because oftentimes Jesus would challenge the whole idea of shame and honor. Um, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. <laughs> when you're muttering, it's typically not good. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them, which was tantamount to um, uh, approving of their lifestyle. And, and so he was accused of these things. And then Jesus tells these three amazing stories. And if you want some good reading today, Luke 15 has these three stories. The first story is about, well, that's my friend over there. Uh, the first story um, is about a guy who loses a sheep. He's a shepherd and he loses a sheep and he goes and finds it. The second story is about a woman. She has a dowry and she loses a coin in this dowry and she searches for it and finds it. And so the first two stories basically portray God as one who seeks and then there's an aspect of those stories that we don't talk about enough, honestly. And that is the joy that God gets in finding something lost or someone lost. And then Jesus tells this amazing story. And it is really amazing. Because it is shockingly shameful if you understand the culture. Not only, we know the prodigal son, if you've know, if you ever heard the story, he does some shameful things. You don't know the half of it, you're going to know by the time this is over with. But the father does shameful things as well. So we're going to just kind of jump right in. The story goes, there was a man who had two sons. Now, there's this, um, this dynamic of what does it mean to be a prodigal. The word prodigal is never really used in the story. And I used to think that meant somebody that kind of did wrong things. Actually, the, the, the definition is one who is given to wasteful extravagance. 
And so it's, it's not necessarily negative, but somebody that's um, given to wasteful extravagance. You might have a prodigal husband. You know, he likes to spend on, on stuff that's uh, extravagant that he doesn't need. Or a prodigal daughter. Uh, those of us who are fathers of daughters um, may have prodigal daughters who spend, you know, on, on what they don't need. So the story is he has this father, he has two sons. And these sons both break his heart because that's what kids do. Happy Father's Day. Uh, uh, it's what kids sometimes do. And they break his heart in different ways. And we're going to look at the youngest son today. You know, there's um, birth order dynamics, and there's been a lot of study around this. And the, the youngest son is typically the one that's... Um, the, the descriptions are, are like this. They're kind of a party waiting to happen, um, kind of uh, carefree. Um, they like the limelight. They want to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. They kind of like the attention. Uh, they're described as creative, unconventional, tantrum-throwing, rebel charmers. Um, they're a little bit spoiled, a little bit immature. Uh, as the youngest, I, I'm kind of resonating with some of this. They'll say things like, I'm the baby, aren't I cute? Gimme, gimme, gimme. And uh, um, my two older sisters um, chose a moniker for me. Call it, she, they, they, they like to call me the chosen one uh, because of this birth order dynamic. And they're just jealous. Uh, so... Then there's an older son, and the older son, now typically the older dynamic is a rules follower, colors inside the lines, uh, obedient, perfectionist, achiever, uh, kind of one of those role models. You'll notice in this story there's no middle child. Uh, researchers will, say, will tell you that middle children are typically the most well-adjusted. Uh, to my middle sister, I say whatever, uh, so I don't even know if I buy that. They used to say the earth was flat too. So, you know, uh, they're not always right about these things. But Jesus, in his divine wisdom, lays out this story. <laughs> What's really interesting is he utilizes these birth order dynamics before that was ever even something anybody thought about. Jesus' intellect is off the charts. And this youngest son, this prodigal, he makes a shameful request. The younger son says to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And on its surface, from a 21st century American perspective, it's not that bad. But in the Middle Eastern culture in that time, this was quite shameful. Because one didn't get their inheritance until their father died. So he was basically saying, Daddy, I wish you were dead. I know you've got plans for me, but I don't want to do what you want me to do. A father typically, if he was a farmer, would expect his sons to also be farmers. If he was, a, like in Jesus' case, if his father was a carpenter, then you became a carpenter. This is how it worked in that culture. And so this boy was basically saying, Daddy, I don't want to be a part of this family. I don't want to do what you want me to do. Not only that, I don't even want to be a part of this community. Because community was huge. In, in, in our society, frankly, just to be honest with you, if we see somebody you're not parenting well, uh, unless they're a relative or something, we just don't get involved. It's kind of none of our business. In Middle Eastern culture, the village, they helped raise kids. They, they set standards together. And so it wasn't uncommon for the village to discipline your child. So when this boy says, Father... Give me my share of the estate. 
there was an expectation on the part of the listeners. Every listener would have known the Old Testament where it says, honor your father and mother and it will go well with you. They all knew this text. And this was completely against that. And so there was an expectation of what was going to happen next. Because the father was... was he needed to protect his honor, to shame honor culture. He just was dishonored. This boy did something shameful. And so the proper, in their mind, the proper response would be for the father to protect his honor. And, and it could, there's degrees of this. At the least, at the very minimum, the father should have slapped the snot out of this boy. At the least, in that culture, that was the expectation. So there, Jesus is telling the story, everybody's expecting it to say, and the father slapped the snot. Can I say that from the pulpit? He slapped him really, really hard. Um, that, or, or he shamed him publicly. He drug him into the public square, and he told everybody what they said, and the community would have rallied around the father and said, that's shameful. It could have been worse. He might have said, not only am I not going to give you your inheritance early, I'm not going to give it to you at all. He could just cut him loose. He could literally just cut him loose. He might have just dismissed him from the family and said, you're no longer part of this family. See, to shame the patriarch was unheard of. And this... The, the, the penalty for such brassness, brashness was severe. It should have been swift. Everyone was expecting it to be swift. What's really interesting is the kid asks for the estate. Let's talk about that just for a second. There are two words in the Greek language that could be used for the estate. One is usios, tasusios, the estate. And the other is kelarnomia. Uh, and, and let me explain the difference. So when you ask for the usios, what you're asking for is the stuff. So this guy was a landowner. He would have had stuff. He would have had land and animals and maybe servants and you know barns and, and that sort of thing. He would have had stuff. Now, if you ask for this other word, kleronomia, you're asking for what goes along with the stuff, the responsibility of managing the stuff. This kid isn't asking for managerial sort of rights. In fact, that might have been okay. He, he, he might be saying, Daddy, I think I'm ready to manage some of the farm for you. It's like, okay, well, he's got a little incentive. That's good. I mean, he's got a little, you know, he's got a little moxie to him. Good. It's not what he asked for. He just asked for the stuff. Daddy, I just want... The stuff. And it's likely the father would have had lots of stuff. Because in this story, if you we're going to read it to its conclusion, the father had servants. He had a fatted calf. That wasn't common. I mean, very few people just had a calf laying around. He had, he had animals. He had servants. When there's a party at the very end of the story and they hire musicians and they hire dancers, this guy would have been loaded. 
And you could see where if you were an ambitious young man, you might say, Daddy, I'd like to help manage the farm. Can you give me a little bit of the farm to manage? And a, a father could do that. A Jewish father often did that. He would give you a little bit of, uh, of freedom. Hey, manage this for me. Let's see how you do with this. That's not what this boy asked for. It's shameful because all he wants is the stuff he wants the blessing without the responsibility. Daddy, give me, give, me some, give me the stuff. And the audience, when they heard the word, it would have been shocking. Not, not only is the kid asking for the inheritance before his dad dies, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, can I have my stuff? That's what he's asking for. Now, they all have an expectation. He is going to drop the hammer on this boy. They're, they're kind of they're leaning back. Oh, it's going to get good. Daddy's going to whoop up on this boy. What they don't expect, and Jesus, again, in His brilliance, His divine brilliance, He, he does what's unexpected. He has the Father giving a shameful response. So He divided His property between them, and the audience would have been shocked there would have been no 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 look i'm a parent of four daughters here's parenting rule number one do not reward bad behavior do not reward bad behavior kid throws a tantrum do not reward that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out you don't reward bad behavior this was beyond bad behavior this kid is basically saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you, Dad. I don't want to have anything to do with the farm. I don't want to have anything to do with the community. I don't want to have anything to do with my brother. I want my stuff because I've got a plan. And the plan is I'm going to leave town and leave all this behind. And the father acquiesces and divides the property and gives him what he wants. And that too is shameful. Because what father would do that? Yet, if this father is a picture of God, what we have to understand is the greatest love, the, greatest, the greater the love, the greater the pain when the love is rejected. This father is giving this boy his freedom. Just like God gives us our freedom. We choose. We choose whether to follow him or not. It's our choice. He gives us freedom. And like the great theologian Sting one time said, if you love somebody, you set them free. You could sing it. It's all good. I mean, if you know it, it's good. And so he divides the property. Not long after that. Now, understand something. The property wouldn't have been liquid. It's not like his assets were in the bank. They were invested in stuff. And so the boy had to have a liquidation sale. He had to get rid of the stuff in order to liquidate his assets so he could take it away. And so it says not long after that. He would have had what I would say is a going out of business sale. Now, he would have to liquidate his assets, and while he's doing that, the community will find out. Because he's going to put signs on the telephone pole, hey, I'm going out of business, I'm going, you know, I'm going to go away, I need to get rid of some stuff, uh, hay for sale, you know, sheep for sale. And people would have known that the boy was liquidating the assets and they probably would have known why. And this was another layer 
of shame. Now, I don't know what kind of village you grew up in, but in the village I grew up in, in Danville, Kentucky, when stuff happened, people knew about it. Might be too big here, but maybe Greer's or Taylor's or wherever you're from, they knew about these things. And so, in my hometown, they would have known about stuff. In this hometown, they would have known about stuff. And everybody would have been talking. This boy has dishonored his father, and his, and his father has dishonored him back by giving him his stuff. But, there's another aspect of liquidation. Maybe the father is expecting the boy to reconsider. It's an opportunity for the boy, while he's getting rid of the stuff, this shameful act of taking things, maybe he would reconsider. Maybe, maybe he says to himself, this isn't the best idea. I've got some security here. I've got a place. Uh, Dad is going to set me up when, when uh, he does pass away. Uh, this is going to be okay. I probably should stay. And he's hoping that the boy will reconsider. But the boy's not only shameful, he's also stupid. And he gets rid of these assets quickly. Because he wants the money fast. It's a shame J.G. Whitworth wasn't around back then. You know, uh, He could have call, called 1-800-CASH-NOW and uh, had it all settled. I wish Whitworth would give me a little bit of a royalty. Uh, I advertise for him today. And the younger son, he liquidates his assets. And then it gets worse. He sets off for a distant country. If you're a Jew, what does that mean? You're going to live with the Gentiles. It is shameful. He's not only is he he's not only dishonored his daddy, he's dishonoring all of us. Because he's going away from our people to the Gentiles. And and it is it is ludicrous that he would do this. He sets off for this distant land where the Gentiles live, where they do things that aren't honorable. He's going to a, a shameful place. And then it gets even worse. And he squandered his wealth in wild living. We don't really have to wonder what wild living they're talking about because the, the older son later on says he squandered his money with prostitutes. And the audience would have shaken their heads. This boy, basically, with pockets full of cash, goes to Vegas on a rager. That's kind of what he does. He just goes and blows it all. The worst plan ever. I'm going to take everything I have, I'm going to go to a foreign land, and I'm just going to do what I want to do. He, he, and there's a reason they use the word squandered because it was not wise. And the audience would, was just shocked. And then it gets worse. After he'd spent everything, yeah, dumb, um, there was a severe famine. Now, again, 21st century America, we really don't understand this. Jesus' audience would have understood this. When he says severe famine... When we have issues here, we have a tendency to figure out how to, you know, the government helps us, bails us out. There's no government bailout. So, do you remember the toilet paper shortage of 2020? Remember that? 
where everybody was looking for toilet paper. Uh, multiply that by 100 and then apply it to food. Because a severe famine in the Middle East in that era meant that people were killing each other over food. They were stealing food. They were selling their children into slavery for food. They were prostituting themselves for food. Because there was nothing they could do. And this boy didn't bring the severe famine on. It's not his fault there's a severe famine. But life is like that. If you don't plan for your future, your future will smack you in the face. And he didn't plan very well. And he squandered it all on wild living. He had an a, 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 a extended Vegas vacation. And while he's there, there's a severe famine and everything shuts down. And you would think, you would think this is the point where this kid would have come to his senses and even then he did not go home. And you have to wonder, why would he not go home now? Well, there's a reason. We're going to talk about it in just a second. But look what he does. So he went and he hired himself out. Now, when you hear the word hired, you're thinking, oh, he's going to get paid. Yeah, not so much. Let's read the rest of it. He hired himself out to a citizen of that country who's a Gentile who really doesn't care for the Jews, and he sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. Now, you all know, right, the culture of the Jews not eating uh, pigs, and so this guy kind of humiliates the boy. He's shameful, more shame in this story. He sends him to a shameful job, but he doesn't, he doesn't say he's going to pay him. He, he sent him to the fields to feed the pigs, and basically, here's your pay. If you can get some food away from the pigs, you can have it. That ain't much pay. It's certainly not good pay. And he sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He basically, by the word, the, when it says hired himself, it basically means he begged until the guy couldn't take it any longer and sent him away to feed the pigs and to fight for their food. Now the problem here is this, and it says he longed to fill his stomach. Basically, he couldn't eat what they were feeding the pigs. They fed them carob pods, which, which swine can digest, but people can't. And so, he is literally starving to death far from home. I don't know how hungry one has to be. You and I, most of us, I would suspect, really never experience real hunger. I'll say stuff like I'm hungry. That basically means I haven't eaten in about 15 minutes. You know, it's like I've got a little twinge of hunger. Uh, we don't understand this. This kid... He's far away from home, he has no resources, and he is starving himself to death. And the only guy that helped him was a dude that said, if you can get it away from the pigs and you can digest it, you can have it. That's as good as anybody's going to help him. That's not very good. But he's reluctant to go home. And there's a reason. Because in... The Middle East peasant culture, if you went home, the village would greet you. But it wasn't going to be a good greeting. In fact, it was going to be humiliating, this greeting. Because this boy would come home and he would walk into town and the elders of the town would be there and they would welcome him this way. They would shame him. 
in that culture, they were very uh, pictorial. And so the elder of the community would take a pot. And this kid would come into town. And he would say to this kid, you are not welcome here. And, and the, the name for this was called Kazaza. It means the breaking away. And in front of everyone, they would have called everyone, and the kid would be here, and he would say, this pot represents our relationship to you. And then he would break it. And they would say, you've broken our hearts. You've broken your dad's hearts. You've broken this relationship and you are not welcome here. And so you understand the boy's hesitancy because not only is he starving physically, he knows what's waiting for him emotionally if he goes back to town. And some of us have felt that kind of brokenness. Like nobody wants us. Like nobody cares. But he's thinking to himself, what other recourse do I have? And so, he makes a plan. And there's a different kind of shame that comes into play. It's the shame that leads to repentance. And maybe the sweetest sentence in Scripture, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And this too is really important the way he's thinking. Because there is a, kind of a hierarchy. The landowner, this would be his dad, and, and he was well-resourced. He would have had lots of stuff. And if you had lots of land, you might have tenant farmers on your farm, and you would let this guy have a little piece, and he would try to make a living for himself, and this guy would try to make a living for himself. And so that was the second level down. And there were some other people, they were artisans, or they, they were uh, blacksmiths or whatever, and there were people like that, like carpenters, and, and that, that level, those, those two levels, tenant farmers and carpenters, kind of the same thing. And then there was a lower level, those are servants, and they lived in the landowner's home. They didn't particularly get paid, but they were like family. And so they were taken care of. They, they were fed, and they were uh, housed, and they were attended to. And so if you were a servant, then you felt like family. And then they were at the lowest level, there were the hired servants. And in Deuteronomy it says you, you have to pay them daily because they're living hand to mouth. You can't like withhold their pay a couple days. They work that day, they're paid that day. That's how it worked. Because they were destitute. And so he says to himself, if I can go back, he says to himself, how many of my father's day laborers have enough to spare. See, he begins to remember his father. He, he not only had enough, he had more than enough. He, he, was, he didn't just give, he was generous. He didn't do the minimum, he did the maximum. Because hired servants really 
don't have extra, except <laughs> this landowner's hired servants do. And I think Jesus was pointing out this was a different kind of father. And so the boy comes up with a new plan. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. He's got this little speech, you know, and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Because, honestly, he had nothing to lose. When you are at rock bottom, there's nowhere to go but up. And while this might be waiting for him, what if? What, what if the Father who is so generous, who is so kind, what if the Father is willing... See, in his mind, he's thinking, maybe, maybe I can earn my way back into the family. I'll start at the lowest level. I'll start as a hired servant. And maybe if I prove myself, he'll let me be a servant. And then, oh, maybe I can become a son again. This is the hope. And it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his, threw his arms around him, kissed him. And this too was shameful. No Middle Eastern nobleman ran anywhere. In fact, the word he uses is sprinted. Because the father knew if the village got to the boy first, this was waiting for him. Brokenness was waiting for him. He knew it. And so, he ran. Which is something no nobleman did. Not only that, but he would have to, to hike up his robe to run and you would see his legs. And that too was shameful in that culture. Nobody did that either. You just didn't run. Think of Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood ain't running nowhere. Break a hip. Uh, you know, uh, he's not running. And yet this... He takes the public shame on himself... So that the son doesn't have to endure it. And, and the part about he wraps him up and he kisses him. And, and the, the language here in the Greek literally means he kissed him all over his head. And you are this nobleman and this pig-smelling boy comes home. And he just wraps him up. 
And he kisses him all over his head. And here are two truths that we should not get past. That father never stopped loving that boy, and that boy never stopped needing that father. And then there's the shame that is removed. The son begins his little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it doesn't say it in Scripture, but one must wonder if the father didn't take his finger and put it on the boy's lips and tell him to hush. Because you don't earn your way back, in, back into the family. You don't earn your way home. He was saying, Daddy, I want to earn my way. Look at this response. Oh. But the father said to the servant, Quick, there's no earning your way back. This isn't a prolonged process. You don't have to sit over, uh, you know, outside the village for two weeks and think about what you've done. There's no timeout corner for the son. Quick. And then he says this, bring the best robe. Whose robe is the best robe in the family? The Father's. He's basically saying, bring my robe and put it on the Son. Bring the robe of honor and put it on Him. And then he puts a, a ring on his fingers. This is a symbol of authority. Not only, uh, he's not a hired servant, he's a son. A son gets to wear the ring. And then this whole thing about sandals, I'm like, who cares? He's evidently lost his sandals. Maybe he had to eat his sandals. Who knows? But he's barefoot. You see, slaves didn't have shoes. Free people have shoes. This was a sign of freedom. And Jesus tells this magnificent story. And the point is grace. Grace is the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion says you have to do something to win God's favor. This story blows that completely apart. The Father endures the shame so that the Son doesn't have to. In Ephesians it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift from God. Our Father has endured our shame. And no matter how far we've ever wandered, our Father is waiting for us to come home. What a Father we have. He's a great Father. Lord, in this message, You've shown us today of Your love for us. How vast it is. And so we thank You. Lord, I pray that You would continue to look for us and draw us home. Thank You for the welcome that's awaiting us 
when we make a step toward you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you're probably saying to yourself, there's more to that story. Well, there is. We're going to look at more of that story next week.